Well, hello, Christ Community Church. Hope you're doing well this day, and most of you are probably viewing this on Sunday morning, so happy Sunday morning to you. And I want you to know that we're praying for you here. I was thinking about um, the tension, especially as we think about Easter, that would exist in the upper room just before Jesus goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane and he comes in to announce to his disciples, hey, I'm leaving. Think about... Just think about how they would have absorbed that. Three years with their best friend, three years with the Savior. And he just announces, hey, I'm, I'm leaving and I'm going to go to a place that you can't come. And, and all the, the anxiety, all the, the fears that would have come up. And he comes to them at that moment and he says, peace, I leave with you. Peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. So I want you to hear those words if you don't hear anything else. Is Jesus is giving you peace, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that even though it seems chaotic at this moment, He's not giving it as the world gives. He's giving it as the Savior can give. So don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled couple of things before we get started with this morning's sermon is we're continuing to send you the resources uh, like this and there's other resources attached to this email about how you can stay in touch with Christ Community Church, how you can get other resources that we're doing for children or youth, how you can connect to uh, different things during the week. I've gotten a lot of great feedback and want to say thank you for those who have watched the Daily Office. And so we produce those twice a week. They come out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so you should be looking at those. I believe they get posted on Instagram and you'll also get an email about them. But here's one of the things I want you to do for me is uh, a lot of folks have just said, hey, I've appreciated those. But when you have a daily office, if you were actually sitting here with me in the office at the end of the time, I would say, hey, what did you, what did you read in this psalm? What did you feel like God was uh, speaking to you through this psalm at this time. And so if you have time, I would love to hear from you. I'd love for you to just take a few minutes to say, hey, I, I did the daily office today and this is what I, what I heard God saying to me. This is what he wanted me to know. Or you could even do it about the sermon because we don't have those little two-minute conversations in the hallway that we normally would. Let's, let's try to have them by email. Finally, I want you to, uh, to say thank you for uh, your giving uh, obviously, with not meeting in the last uh, couple of weeks and now for at least for the month of April, uh, giving is an important part of, of what happens on a Sunday and because that can't happen here. I just want to thank you for uh, mailing in uh, your checks or going online. Uh, thank you for your continued generosity. We continue to try to reach out to the community in a, a number of ways and try to be supportive of them as well as just the missions that we support here. I, Got an email from Benny Matthews just last week about India and the, the shelter in place they have for 1.3 billion people and the anxiety that causes in a number of ways, uh, but especially financially. And so your gifts to us really helps us uh, steady a lot of ships. And I, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you because a lot of you all are experiencing difficulty yourself and you continue to be generous. We're praying for you if you ever need anything. Please don't hesitate to contact us, and I hope you enjoy and um, learn from and move ahead in a Godward way with this Sunday sermon.
Let's pray together. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Heavenly Father, we come here this morning and we're praying for your presence as we lift up our eyes. We've had our eyes focused on the news, focused on our jobs, focused on our families, focused on school, focused on the future, focused on an announcement by a governor or a president, and now we're coming together and asking for us to be tuned in and have our eyes on an announcement from the King of Kings. Would you strengthen every heart, every soul, every mind to hear your word, to digest it, to allow it to calm their soul, and know that there is help, divine help, that comes from the Lord Almighty. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you and I, as I don't need to tell you, are living through a, one of the most unusual moments of a lifetime. Whenever this moment is done, whether it's in another 30 days or another two years, everybody's going to have their coronavirus story. Everybody's going to say, oh, I remember when I had to or this happened to me. That's going to happen over and over I guarantee you, when you have to shelter in place for 30 days with your family, you're going to have a story. And I hope that story is a good one. And I think probably like you, I anticipate permanent changes in the society. Kind of like a 9-11 event. After 9-11, certain things changed in the society that we still live with now, 20 years later. And I think this is going to be that kind of event. So there's a Tremendous amount of change that's happening, and probably the number one question that, that I get or I see that's written is, when are things going to go back to normal? One, of the, one response I heard to this question is, it's like asking a fireman when you can move back in while the house is still on fire. <laughs> so you, you, want to go, you want things to go back to normal, and you're trying to move back into that space, that normal, safe, predictable space, but the house is still on fire. There's, there's no way to know when that's going to happen. I was reading a, a blog post from the MIT Tech Review, and here's the title of it, We're Not Going Back to Normal. And then it had this subtitle, Social Distancing is Here to Stay for Much More Than a Few Weeks. It Will Upend Our Way of Life in Some Ways forever. Now, maybe that's a, a way to just get clicks on a blog. You, you want to put a title up there that arrests somebody in some way to make them click, but, but maybe the folks at the MIT Tech Review have some knowledge. They have some understanding. They're, they're accurate at what they're saying, that, that in some ways things are going to change forever. We'll see. I don't know. But the question I want us to consider this morning is not when are things going to go back to normal, but what are we supposed to do now? We're, we're in this moment, 
And what are we supposed to do now in this moment? That's the question I want us to try to consider and, and answer this morning. Certainly there are many excellent ways to answer a question like that. But by God's providence, we're finding ourselves here in the book of 2 Samuel. And so I just want to track along with Samuel and I want to allow the, the God's word providentially to speak to us through this book. And I want to suggest three things that we can be doing right now in response to our current situation. Number one is lament. That's chapter one. Secondly is to sit down. That's chapter seven. And third is glory in the gospel and love your neighbor. That's chapter nine. So we're going to talk about those three things. And the third thing, glory in God and love your neighbor is going to be next week's sermon. So this is a a two-part sermon The first two things I want to talk about and spend our time on are are lament and sit down. And then next week we'll get to chapter 9. And you should just go ahead and read ahead. This is my favorite chapter in the book of 2 Samuel. And so read ahead in preparation for next week. So let's begin with the the first point, lament. At the end of 1 Samuel, David has been running for his life. He's been hiding in caves for the last 10 years. He's trying to avoid Saul's death death threats. And when you get to the end of of 1 Samuel, two battles are taking place simultaneously. David and his men are fighting the Amalekites, and Saul and his men are fighting the Philistines. And at the end of those battles, David and his men are victorious, and Saul... And his son, Jonathan, and his men lose. And in the process, Jonathan, David's best friend, dies. And when Saul gets isolated by himself and believes that this battle is now over, he's gotten himself disconnected from God. He doesn't believe that there's any other way out. Sadly, Saul kills himself. Saul got disconnected from God. Saul got isolated from other people. He he couldn't see any other way out than his current situation, so he killed himself. Now, I feel the need to pause right here and just make a comment. If you've been paying attention to the news, there's been quite a, little, quite a bit of talk just recently about the need to restart the economy. And there are a lot of reasons for that, uh, trying to get people back to work and financial needs. But one of the things that always comes up in this discussion, why we need to restart the, the economy, and it was a little arresting for me when I first thought about it, is to, to prevent suicides. There's a lot of concern about this isolation, not just financially, but emotionally, mentally. And for some people, when they're they're isolated, the anxiety builds. They don't have any person to share that with or to carry some of that anxiety. When that anxiety builds and they find themselves by themselves and they've lost their income, maybe they've lost even their identity with their job, And all of these things elevate risks, risk for suicide. And for some of you, you need to be careful. 
You need to pay attention to these factors. You need to pay attention, close attention to your, to your mind and to your soul. And if you find yourself emotionally moving to a, a dark place, you need to get help. You need to call somebody. You need to have people that you can contact, be in contact with. And, and if you're not this kind of person, you know people that could be affected in this isolation this way. And you need to make sure you're taking extra time to, to not just text the person, but to call them, to do a FaceTime, to do some sort of human contact during this time so that you can be a part of helping someone else. To remind them that this virus is not going to be victorious. We serve the King of Kings. He is sitting on His throne. Just to, to say those things over and over again, I, I don't want you to ever underestimate the power of your encouragement. Your, your phone call, your few words can redirect somebody's emotions. Maybe for an hour, maybe for a day, maybe for the rest of their life. So... I want us to make sure we're, we're doing that, especially as a church. So, so you got that. I'm, I'm looking. You're nodding your head up and down. Yes, I got that. Okay. All right, that's important. Now, let's go back here to the beginning of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel opens with David receiving this report that Saul and his best friend Jonathan have died. And so in chapter 1... David hears the news, and it says this in verse 11, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan. This is what I I call spontaneous grief. You hear the bad news, you're just immediately and emotionally overwhelmed with it, and you just pour pour out all that pain through your eyes. You sit down, you weep, and that lasts for some period of time. But, but once that rush of emotions, initial rush of emotions has washed through, there's a second kind of grief. It's called reflective grief. Th- this is when the grief doesn't just pour out of your eyes, it really pours out of your soul. You, you have time to sit and consider What's most painful about this loss? What's really going on in my soul? And you formulate a response, and it's called lament. I'm I'm speaking now from my soul. I'm not just speaking from my emotions. I'm speaking from the the loss that I feel like I've, I've absorbed in my own soul. And one writer calls that structured sorrow. So in this chapter... In, starting with verse 19, we have David's structured sorrow. He's, he's, he's passed that first wave, and now he's into this reflective grief, and he's going to write it down. He's going to make sure he remembers it. And, and writing it down is sort of an exacting exercise, so he can really identify what's most painful for him. Now, I'm not going to take time to review the entire lament, but I just want to look at the closing lines, chapter 1, verse 25. And 26, Jonathan, Jonathan, David's best friend, lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. So David is getting to the the center of his pain here. 
No doubt he's recalling his last conversation with Jonathan. Just, just like you might if somebody you love dies. You, you say, well, I, I remember that last thing they said to me, that last conversation. And then the last conversation was such a, such a beautiful, such a hopeful conversation between Jonathan and David. David was in a dark place himself. And Jonathan comes and finds him. And he just promises David. He reminds David of God's promises that, David, you're going to be the king. And, and, and that just lights David's soul to say, yes, I'm remembering God's promises. I'm going to be okay. And then Jonathan says, and here's my hope, David. I'm going to stand right next to you. You're going to be the king, and I'm going to be your, your right-hand man. But here we are in 2 Samuel, and David's lamenting. He's fully absorbing the death death of his friend and the death of a dream what what David had dreamed of what he had dreamed of with Jonathan seemed like a good plan seemed like a a God honoring plan but it wasn't going to happen and so now for David in order for him to move in to becoming king he has to pause and grieve his losses That's, that's the first step for David. Pastor Terry Wardle says this, every loss in life demands an appropriate season of grieving. Whether you've lost your favorite person or your favorite pen. See, he's trying to say there's a whole spectrum of grieving. Some things are really not all that important. You just have a favorite pen. It can be replaced, but you go, you know, I really like that pen too. Your favorite person. All those grievings have to take place in a lifetime. Now, I don't have to tell you we're in a, a great season of grieving or maybe a, a season of great grieving. It's, it's really important just to say it out loud, to acknowledge it, maybe even to write it down. It's especially important that you share it with others because, you know, if you lose your favorite pen, that's not a big deal, but most of us have lost something a lot heavier than that. So it's very important to have somebody to share it with. That's part of what David's doing. He's, he's not just writing it down for him. He's writing it down for other people so people know the heaviness that's in David's heart. Everyone hearing this sermon right now is carrying some new weight of grief. You or someone you know has contracted the virus and you're afraid. Maybe you're in uh, that older population or you're, you have some sort of immune uh, problem in your body and you're very afraid to be around other people because you know that if you got the coronavirus, it, ha- it would have a more difficult effect on your systems. And so you, you've been self-isolating already for maybe a month and now you have a new 30-day thing from the governor and, and you feel that loneliness. That loneliness is a great weight that has to be grieved. Maybe this week your business shut down for 30 days and laid you off. And, and two months ago, your whole business was up and to the right. And so you made all these projections about the income that you were going to have and the life that you were going to leave and the money you were going to give away and the money you were going to save. And now you don't have any of that. And you just bought a new house. And you have a baby that's six months old. That's a weight. 
That's a weight that has to be appropriately lamented. For some of us, we had a dream wedding. We've been planning it for six months, maybe a year. Everything was lined up 30 days ago. And now just like that, it's, it's evaporated. You're getting married in your parents' backyard with 10 people. You tried to somehow rescue it over the last 30 days, but it just never worked that way. And so now you're, you're grieving that loss. You can't come back somehow and replace that. Maybe you have to maintain your full-time job and your three children who used to be in school are now home 24-7 till May 15th. You, you are grieving. You are grieving a loss. You're trying to adjust your whole life now to how do I have a 40-hour-a-week job or a 50-hour-a-week job that I may have already been working at home, but now I am and I've got three kids 24-7. They can, can't even go to the park. You're a senior in college. You're a senior in high school. No graduation. No prom. No senior year of your baseball season or soccer season. Can't get it back. You know, I could go on and on. There's a whole spectrum of griefs that we have to have to just recognize, to say out loud, this is, this is difficult. I'm feeling this now. I need somebody to share it with me before I can move on. And then there's the, the host of anticipatory grief. You lay in your bed at night and you can't go to sleep because you start imagining all the things that might be happening or might be on the horizon. Maybe we're just at the front edge of the storm and the big part of the storm is still behind. And you, so, you lay there and say, well, I can make it for 30 days, but what happens if it's 60 or 90 or six months or a year and a half? And so you have all this immediate grief and anticipatory grief. And all this weight is significant. It's, everyone's going to have to grieve. David has to grieve. He has to get it out before he can move on. Let me just uh, make a couple of points of application here. First of all, you have to grieve. You have to allow yourself to grieve. You have to give space for other people to grieve. Now, this isn't whining and isn't, isn't complaining. We don't need whining and complaining. It's structured sorrow. I'm identifying what's really hard about this time in my soul. Secondly, we need to remember that in the midst of this lament, it's not a frame, it's just a frame, it's not a whole film. You're, you're right now living in what I've called many times the, the frame of pain. It's one frame, and maybe it's going to last for 30 days or 60 days, but it's not going to be your whole film of your whole life. Look, look at 2 Samuel. These verses aren't the whole of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel doesn't have chapter 1, David laments, and then that's the rest of his life. No, it's just the beginning of this book. He has a whole film of his life that, that's still going to unfold, and so do you, so do I. And so we need to remember we're just, we're just in this frame right now. Psalm 30, verse 5 says this, Weeping may last for a night, but you know it. Say it with me. Joy comes in the morning. We don't know if this weeping is going to last for one night or 30 nights, 
But there is joy. There's going to be joy. There's going to be hope. There's going to be a, a film after this frame for me, for my family, for my business. Third thing I want us to remember, it comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. It says this, As God's holy people, dearly loved... So, so we're God's holy people. We've been dearly loved. We've been dearly loved by the, the greatness of Jesus. And because that's filling our souls, then Paul says this, put on. It's a, it's a um, term to put on a piece of clothing. So your version might say, clothe yourself. It's, it's dress yourself. And these are, this is what he says. Dress yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Dress yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I can tell you right now, if you're going to shelter in place with your family for 30 days, you're going to need a whole closet full of compassion. You're going to need to wake up and walk into that closet every morning with your kids that are going to be in the house for three days, or maybe you're going to be in there with just one other person, or maybe there's all kinds of other things that could be happening. You're going to need to just physically walk in the closet and say, Lord, I need to dress myself today with compassion. I I need to remember the grace that you've given me, that it's unlimited, and I need to put on that coat of compassion. Compassion and patience. You're going to need that a lot more than hand sanitizer and toilet paper in the next 30 days. So I hope that you put that on. And here's one of my primary prayers for us, and especially you and living in close contact or other people you come in contact with. Please don't allow the pain and pressures of this moment to negatively reshape your family forever. Be Be gracious. Be kind. You don't know the weight that is affecting this high school teenager that you're living with now 24-7. You don't know the weight that's affecting your mom or dad who's worried about the finances. You don't know how that's affecting everyone's soul. So be compassionate. Be kind. And if you're one of those people out there that has sort of a cavalier attitude towards the virus, that you think it's a media thing and it's just being hyped for other political purposes, even if you're right, please understand people are still grieving losses. They may not be your losses, but somebody else is really grieving that they're not going to have the wedding, they're not going to have the graduation, they're not going to have what they thought that reasonably... They could have had. So we have to lament. We have to give space for that for ourselves. We have to give space for that for other people. Second point here is 2 Samuel chapter 7. Again, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When you come to chapter 7, the, the frame is turned into a film. So now we're not in this frame of pain for David. We're actually in a time of peace and prosperity for David, just seven chapters later. And when he enters into this time, David looks around and says, Hey, I live in a nice house, but God and the ark of God live in a tent. So very reasonably, he decides, Hey, I want to build God a temple. 
It seems like a good plan. He actually goes to Nathan, the prophet, the pastor at the time, and says, Nathan, hey, I'm living in a nice house. I just can't stand to live in a nice house with a view. And I look down and see God's living in a tent. I'd like to build God a temple. And so David uh, gets a green light from Nathan for the building project. But then that same night, God comes to Nathan and tells Nathan, Nathan, you need to go back to David and tell him to stop. Because what seemed like a great plan to David, what seemed like a great plan even to David and Nathan, wasn't a great plan for God. Think about that. What seemed like a great plan, a reasonable plan, to David and his pastor, wasn't a great plan for God. I wonder if you've ever had a very reasonable, well-thought-through plan that had to come to a complete stop. Yeah. Every one of you are saying, yeah, like right now, that's what I'm experiencing right now. I've had all these plans, and they have come to a complete stop. So how does David respond? How should we respond when we have plans? They're very reasonable, but for whatever reason... God says, let's stop that plan. I don't want that plan, at least right now, to move forward. And here's the key verse in chapter 7. It's in verse 18. Then after David heard all of this from Nathan, then King David went in and he sat down before the Lord. He sat down. When David sits down, he visibly demonstrates what he's feeling in his soul, and that is, God, your plan is better than my plan. I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to sit down and trust that however you're operating in my life, even though it might look chaotic at this very moment, I'm trusting your plan. I'm trusting your full stop on this thing, whether it's for 30 days or for the rest of my life. I'm just going to move with you, God. I'm not going to move by myself and by my plan. And in this lack of activity, listen, this is key. In this lack of activity, David learns priceless things about God. Priceless things about how God operates. If David had been busy with the building project, he would have, been, he would have blown by all these priceless things that God wants David to know about himself, that God wants David to know about David, that God wants David to know about how he's operating in David's life. Probably a few of you read a blog post this past week about Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton lived in England, and he's a famous mathematician. He's most hated by high school students because he invented calculus. But he's probably most well known by uh, the theory of the law of gravity. And the reason you probably heard about Isaac Newton this week is he discovered the law of gravity during a plague. There was a great plague in London, and he lived in London at the time. He was a professor at a university. And because of the great plague, he went out to a 60-acre estate that his family owned, and he had to sit there for a whole year. And it's while he was sitting there, he watched an apple fall from a tree. And he just watched an apple fall from the tree, and he started thinking, why is that happening? 
And because he had space to think about it, he came up with or maybe uncovered the law of gravity. Later in his life, Newton refers to this year of his life that he has to spend out on, the, on this 60-acre uh, estate as the year of wonders. Because during that year, he discovered so many things about how the world operated. Why? Because he had to come to a full stop. Now, before you send me an email, I realize for some of you, this virus isn't a full stop. You are now working 24-7 because you are working your job and you have to help your kids with the school and you have to do so many things. So I realize this has put some people's life in overdrive. I, trust me, I know, so you don't need to send me that email. But there are many of us that are listening here this morning that many things on a calendar have now suddenly just evaporated. We can't even go to work. We can't do the things that we would normally do. And we find ourselves in a unique space to have time on our hands. And my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is don't miss the priceless treasures God has in store for you to see about Him about how He operates in your life and how He wants you to live. My prayer is that this would be the, the weeks of wonder. You would later reflect and say, hey, you know, that month of April in 2020, that month, I, 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 everything closed down, and so I got to see something about me. God exposed something about me. God exposed something about Himself. And that, that weeks of wonder have, have changed my life now forever. Please, please don't sit down and waste your life on Netflix and the news. Don't read the article about what series you can binge on. Don't, don't just turn on the news and have it as background noise. Come to a complete stop and in silence, look around. Look at God's Word. Pray, ask Him to open up things that, that have always been there, but you've just been too busy to see. I want to close by noticing just one more thing about David's response. Verse 18 again in chapter 7. Then King David, notice this, underline this, King David, King David. doesn't just say David, it says King David. King David went in and sat before the Lord, and what did he say? Verse 19, verse 20, verse 21, three times, very important, your servant. Your servant. Your servant. So David's coming into this prayer and he's saying something like this, Lord, I'm not the king in this discussion. You are. I'm just your servant. While I'm here on earth, I'm not here to fulfill my agenda. I'm here to fulfill your agenda. Whatever your agenda is, I'm just your servant. I'm here to serve your purposes, whether my life is up and to the right or whether I have the coronavirus, or whether I'm living in, in my home for 24-7 for 30 days, I'm here because you have uniquely designed this moment and me for this moment. And I'm not going to try to push my agenda. I'm, I'm your servant. So David, the, the king, the king after God's own heart, bows to become a servant. And to say, Lord, 
not my will, but your will be done. Now, where else do we see this in the Bible? The true king. The true king in the Garden of Gethsemane, he comes. Here we are, we're coming upon Easter, and we're, we're thinking about this, this time in Jesus' life where he's the king. He's the real king. He's the king of kings. He comes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he has a very reasonable request from God. God, if, if there's any way this cup could pass, is that not a reasonable request that there's some other way? Is there any other way I can go through this rather than this way? And Jesus hears God say, I understand your plan. It's just not my plan. And in the greatest act of humility, the King of Kings says, I'm here to serve. Not, not my will be done, but yours. And his willingness to let go of his desires, his good plan, his agenda, saved my soul. <laughs> saved your soul. Saved millions of souls. His, his act of obedience, he didn't just sit down, he laid down his life. He gave his life in exchange for, for my life. And everything has changed because of his one massive act of obedience. Christ Community Church, this is, this is our hope. Now, now, we are followers of Jesus. May we lay down our lives lay down our agenda and trust in Him and say, I'm your servant. I want you to know that weeping may last for a night, but joy, joy comes in the morning. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, every soul, every soul has new weight a new weight of grief. Some, some loss, they have to grieve. That's, it's not going to come back to, to normal. Not going to be able to recapture things. Every soul is anticipating grief. Things that might permanently change. And you come, you come and say, take my yoke. Come, everyone who's heavy burdened, come to me and, and take my yoke. And you will find rest. And so we're looking for that rest this morning. We're asking for that rest this morning. We're saying and trusting that as we weep today in the night, that this is just a frame. It's not our whole life. And that there will be a morning. A morning not only in this life, but in the life to come. Where it will be endless daylight. And we'll be face to face with Jesus, your servant and our Savior. 
Amen. Go in peace.